0: Are you enjoying what you hear? Would you like to support the podcast and help us improve? Well, the folks at Anchor have some big news. Anchor has introduced listener support, which allows listeners to donate recurring monthly payments directly to the pod. These donations not only help us improve the content that you hear, but it also helps us purchase more books for more at-risk youth in the city of Mobile, Alabama. Representation is so crucial. In the next James Baldwin, Toni Morrison... Zora Neale Hurston, or ta Nisi Coates could be right there in those classrooms. Our mission is to continue to provide them with literature written by authors that look like them, who had them in mind when pinning these pieces. Listener Support provides a link in the description of all our podcasts across all platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, so you can support from anywhere, even if you don't have an Anchor account. Anytime you click these links, you will be presented with an option to sign up to make recurring automatic payments to support our podcast. You'll be able to choose from three tiers, $0.99, $4.99, or $9.99. Then just enter your payment info, and your charges are immediately processed. If you're using an iOS device, you have the option to pay with Apple Pay, or if you're using an Android device, you can pay with Google Pay. It's insanely quick and easy from anywhere. Now, let's get to the show. Hey guys, it's Jason, the founder and program director of the Reading While Black Book Club, as well as your host for the Reading While Black podcast. Today we're going to be taking it back again with our second YouTube episode where we reviewed The New Jim Crow. Myself and my co-founder Shakira Jones actually only got a chance to discuss chapter one and two, and because this book is so heavy and rich with dialogue, I may actually return back to this discussion as we dissect this book chapter by chapter if you guys like what you hear and you're using the anchor application make sure that you leave applause and leave us some feedback so we can improve the podcast enjoy
1: hi guys
0: Hey guys, what's going on?
1: Um, still it
0: still says off. Is it on air?
1: Yeah, we're it says live over here.
0: Yeah, baby, we it's live.
1: It's lit. It's lit. <laughs> <laughs> um, hi guys, it's Shakira. And uh, it's
0: Jason. What's going we're on? Reading we're reading well,
1: "Wild Black."
0: Yeah, we gotta to, we gotta work on saying that at the same time.
1: You know, <laughs> I don't I don't want to be a unison. I'm a grown up.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Um. We are Reading Wild Black. We are here today to talk to you guys about this month's book, which is The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness by Michelle Alexander. Michelle Alexander. Yeah. Um, And so we're going to talk about chapters one and two. Um, Yeah, if you guys have any questions, definitely tweet us at uh at reading while be okay, or use the hashtag reading while black the same thing be okay we're um, gonna be
0: checking the Facebook too so
1: yeah, so if you're with us on Facebook or Twitter, um we definitely see all of that um don't so, think we didn't
0: forget about you guys
1: right so let's see so what oh Sorry, something happened. Um, so, where do we start? How are you feeling about the book so far?
0: Um, I am dumbfounded. Um, <laughs> that's the only word I can come <laughs> up with. Um, the introduction itself is a lot, like to break down. Mm-hmm. Um, the foreword in itself, uh, which is done by Cornell West, um, by Cornell West already kind of like set you up like this is about to get real
1: Mm -hmm. um
0: and then like chapter one just really breaks down like the whole entire history um what is it's it's heavy like this is heavy reading definitely heavier than the last book
1: yeah i feel Um, like where dr dyson was um what's the word i'm looking for optimistic Uh, This is, this is very
0: realistic. This is very dark. Yeah, no,
1: like, I definitely had to, like, after chapter one, I had to shut the book. Like, I felt a great deal of, like, stress or anxiety. Yeah, and I was angry. Like, I, um, I knew what I was getting into based on just the title itself. It just kind of lets you know that it's going to be, like, a heavy topic, but... I've heard people talk about the book before and they always have said like, it's a great read. You need to read it. But I was not prepared at all. Um, Yeah.
0: We haven't even gotten to the prison industrial complex part. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just talking about, I think the one thing I tweeted it earlier today, and I was saying like reading chapter one and reading the birth and the death of slavery and then going into the birth of Jim Crow, and the death of Jim Crow, which are the first four parts of um, chapter one in the rebirth of cast, you kind of, I think what is amazing about slavery is as many films that have been made about slavery, we can never actually fully grasp how horrifying it is and the graphic details, like the wording and how detailed it is uh, Mm -hmm. on when they, when they talk about, you know, the forms of slavery, the castrations and all these other different things, you get chills, you know, down your spine because you're thinking about, you know, these people. And, you know, for Black people in particular, these are your people that, you know, were murdered, mutilated, beaten, um, all for because they wanted to exist. And, and you
1: know, and she talks about that... In the book like when she starts out so like even in chapter one like i think like the first paragraph she talks about like there's like this political system where we're taught about all these exceptions to right. uh, the rules so like the oprahs and the the Barack obamas and all of these people and she's like yeah but that's not what we're talking about today you know yeah, and it's just like i appreciate that like i would definitely say chapters one and two were definitely just like these are the receipts and these are the receipts like it's chock full of facts, which I appreciate yeah. And there it's it's written like it's an academic book. So there's sources and you can go back and look.
0: Yeah, um, if you're yeah, for the people who are reading it on Kindle, there are a lot of citations um, for it because there's a lot of good books that she like highlights that mm-hmm. are related to these. I'm trying to remember the book that she talks about particular that that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. called um, the most accurate representation of the Civil War. Uh,
1: Um, Yeah, I remember that. um, It's in the list. It's in there, but that's in chapter one.
0: Yeah, and that's just in chapter one alone. I think what's amazing is in chapter 1 they talk about the rise of this populist movement where you have these where you have these white people and these black people who unite on one common ground of being poor which um, you see happen twice um in this country you see it happen you know post-slavery during the reconstruction era which was a time where during reconstruction black people were afforded many rights and as soon as they got them they were taken away extremely quickly and you saw a populist movement die and i think what's also very interesting is republicans always like to say well republicans aren't racist we got you know we got rid of slavery but as you see a different type of republican yeah it's a different type of republican but yeah. as you be- but as you begin to read the book you see that republicans were still in favor of this caste system mm-hmm. and you saw that populist leaders eventually abandon you know their mission to find a common ground and to you know attack the system and basically go with the status quo and align themselves with you know either Democrats or Republicans who sided with you know separate but equal and um, and that's only just one form. I also think it's interesting that she you know she highlighted that during the civil rights movement you know she pondered the thought of what if the civil rights movement fought against mass incarceration then. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, we put all of our effort into equal rights that we kind of just forgot about people who were put into these forms. You know, prison was basically another form of slavery.
1: Yeah, no, and it's written into the 13th Amendment that way. Like... Yes. Slave... Like, all Americans are... And I don't have the quote in front of me, but it's like, all Americans are free. It... Like, slavery is unlawful, unlawful unless, like there was a crime committed or something to that effect. And it's like, it's like, where was I in history class when they talked, like, did we glaze over that? Was I taught that? I don't remember that part. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and yes. even, like, I do appreciate that. Like from the start, she lets us know, like race hasn't always been the issue. Like it, it keeps boiling back to me that the issue has always been, Money, like it has, it all goes back to money. Because when when African slaves were brought over here, we were brought here with white people as indentured servants, right? To combat the, the Native Americans, and they weren't um like good slaves or good servants because they what I basically they have an yeah, understanding of the ahead. land, right? Yeah, and yeah, so that's what.
0: But you can't enslave somebody. It's like you in can't, their own house. Exactly. It's almost <laughs> like it's kind of like when you're watching ATL and mm-hmm. TI gets fed up with his uncle. He's like, "This is my daddy's house." <laughs> um, like right, then, like this yo, is my daddy house. I've been running things about yep. 15 years, 15 years old. <laughs> so like he, they kind of check them, and also because Native Americans were painted as these savages. Mm-hmm you know, throughout history and, you know, even as children growing up in, you know, public or private school, you learn this about them as well. It's paint. This picture is painted. Native Americans were extremely intelligent. They knew the land and also they had a military force. They had their own militia. So they were able to fight against this westward movement.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um And this Manifest Destiny belief that, you know, these settlers had. So they were fighting against this as well. So they were like, yo, we can't, like, how am I going to, you know, enslave, you know, all these Native Americans if all they're going to do is fight back? I'm having issues. And also one thing that I found, you know, interesting was she talked about West Indies slavery. She never got really into it, which we know Mm -hmm. is, you know, the sugar plantation slavery, which some people call some of the worst forms of actual chattel slavery ever. Um, But she highlights that, you know, they spoke English. And so Mm -hmm. that became an issue that if they spoke English, it would be harder for them to be controlled, um, you know, in the North American countries because they could speak the language. They could understand if they were being played and they could also organize and escape whereas we bring these Africans who have never been here who don't understand don't understand anything about this country and we can basically do what we want with them and what we right. will and also she talked about you know the European immigrants that were here as well because they were few far in numbers
1: yeah um, and because bringing um, bringing using uh, European like indentured servants, would minimize and like nobody would want to immigrate here if they knew that when they got here they were going to be treated as slaves so african slaves made for bet the best product you know what i mean so it's like exactly. it wasn't ever really about race it was about the fact that we didn't understand the language and so yes. let's see i have a quote here um she said sociologist keith Kilty and Eric Swank have observed eliminating savages is less a moral problem than eliminating human beings. And therefore, American Indians came to be understood as a lesser race. So the same as African slaves, like they painted us as uncivilized and unsavage. And therefore, it's not a moral issue as it is. We need to, you know, uh, these people are our best to be used. You know what I mean? And, yes, even and Bacon's it, Rebellion, when she was right. talking about, like, okay, Bacon decided to co- um, bring together poor whites and black slaves and um, try to, you know, leverage that power. And right. so what the and, the powers that he figured out to do was that mm-hmm. – you need to we need to give whites a racial bribe like we're going to elevate you just above these slaves and that way like by allowing them to be you know overseers and stuff like that so like it's it gives the illusion of power but you don't actually have that which is basically what's going on right now like ain't too much change
0: exactly there's this illusion really that Basically boils down to one thing. I was actually watching – got Michael Eric Dyson. Shout-out to Michael Eric Dyson because he called us an inspiration. Um, He was on uh, Fox Sports 1 with Shannon Sharp and uh, Skip Bayless. And Shannon Sharp brought up this really good story. He was talking about that uh, he was playing in the playground with this white kid, and he noticed that there was a hole in – his friend's pants and he said, you know, Hey, there's a hole in your pants. And what I think the white guy said, he's like, there's a hole in your pants. He's like, well, there's a hole in your pants. And he said, Oh, well, but at least I'm not black. That's really what it all boils down to. That is racism in itself. And that is the, that is this, you know, racial caste system that we have in this country that white people may be poor, they can understand that, yo, I'm poor. I've had to work for everything my whole entire life, just like you. So what's your what's your excuse? And so that really becomes the focal point of you know, where this white privilege come from and why they don't understand it. But also at the end of the day, whether they want to admit it or not, the one thing that they know that they're not is black. And so that's the biggest advantage that they have, is that I may be oppressed financially. I may be poor. I may not have be able to dig myself out of this hole but at least i'm not african-american or at least i'm not black but Um, even
1: but even in like going back to what um dr dyson talked about in tears we cannot stop i don't necessarily know that they understand that they have that privilege because even miss alexander um mentions that it's like right after the civil rights movement there was, um, there was another kind of racial bribe where it's right. like, but this was like literally only psychological, like whereas um, during pre Jim Crow, like civil war, slave, <laughs> slavery era, um, they were actually given a little bit of power, like just enough. Just you know? enough
0: to where they can feel like they're superior. And also, I found that quote.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Tracy is looking at, uh is watching us, and she says that it was an understanding uh how every time African-Americans made some strides with Southern whites, drove a wedge between African-Americans and poor whites, which is true. Like, that's absolutely what happens, because I feel like, they recognize that the issue isn't necessarily race. They created this race problem. The issue is definitely economics. And even Dr. King and civil rights, um, civil rights leaders realized that like, as soon as we got like some civil rights, we realized like, oh, well we can't elevate ourselves as we don't have economic um, freedoms as well. And so that's where the poor people campaign came in. And that's when, people really start to get shook. And that's when he, and even John F. Kennedy, like he, he was with the poor people's campaign as well. And he was going to make some economic reform. And that's when assassinate, that's when they got assassinated, like right in 64, 65.
0: Yeah. Both both of them were assassinated. A lot of people said that the moment that, you know, the moment it's, it's all, it always happens in history. The moment where a, a big time activist or the face of a movement starts talking about uniting people on one common goal. And that is that poverty is a form of oppression. Mm-hmm. They're always snuffed out and mm-hmm. we can go back to JFK. We can go back to Martin Luther King. We can go back to Huey Newton and the black Panther party as well. The moment that they start handing out free lunches, the FBI, you. you know, deem them as the most dangerous group in America. And it was amazing that, oh, we, be, that, you know, an organization just said, you know, hey, we don't want to take the government's money. We we want to just create our own stuff and,
1: you know. That's where we became dangerous. Free lunches.
0: And that's when we became dangerous cause, because the moment that we figured out we could do it ourselves, they were like, oh, hold up, hold up, hold up. Um, these Negroes are doing too much. So we <laughs> There's a little bit of progress made it almost go there is you know i remember van jones co- named it a white lash um mm-hmm. and i think that's the best term for it but we've seen forms of white lash before jim crow is you know black codes were a white lash to the reconstruction era mm-hmm. jim crow was a white lash to the reconstruction era and not only that but jim crow was redlining redlining was a form of white lash to keep Black people in one place and centralized and controlled. And so you have all of these forms of oppression that are all products of, you know, or byproducts of, or anti, I I would call them anti-products to combat progress that's made um, simply because Black people are trying to get a level footing, which is kind of amazing to me. But going back to that, that quote, just to uh, give everybody the clear, concise, is what we were talking about from the 13th Amendment. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution had abolished slavery, but allowed one major exception: slavery remained an appropriate, appropriate as punishment for a crime. In a landmark decision by Virginia Supreme Court, Ruffin versus Commonwealth, issued the height of Southern redemption. The court put rest any notion that convicts were legal were legally distinguishable from slaves. For a time during his service in a penitentiary, he is in a state of penal servitude to the state. He is a con- he is a consequence. I mean, as a consequence of his crime, not only forfeited his liber- liberty, but all his personal rights except those which the law, in its humanity, according to him, he is for the time being a slave of the state. He is a civil tur mort- uh, mortis, uh, civil tear mortis, in a state. Uh, if he has any as administered like at of a dead man Um, so yeah basically
1: it's written into law that and and she even said that like before one caste system is diminished they plant the seeds for the next one and it's gotten to the point now where the racial caste system that we have in place is so innocuous and so covert that race isn't even mentioned but it is very well understood that it is about race and it's like stuff that black people have been saying forever but we can't prove it because they don't explicitly mention race you know what I mean so it's like yes how do you get around that like what can we do if if anything and even let's see the 14th and 15th 14th and 15th amendment like we were given civil rights but we couldn't enforce it because we were fresh out of slavery didn't have anything so even if we did want to enforce those laws through like federal like through the courts we we had no we had no means
0: no money no economic And no organizations for that matter, like Mm -hmm, the NAACP NAACP did not exist at the time. And since the NAACP, since this wasn't 1909, um, which it is today is the 108th anniversary or 109th anniversary of the NAACP. I'm not I'm not sure. Or I want to say that's just to the Mobile chapter for that matter um, down here at home. Um there was no type of organization like that to actually protect the civil rights of African-Americans. And also the innate fear of trying to fight these, um, trying to take these things to court because you would die. You could lose your life very easily.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, And that's even why the federal government left because the the redeemers started like lynching, castrating, terrorizing these communities, because the federal government was sent down south to, you know, give food and assistance to all of these destitute people, because the economy was shot after the Civil War. And the Redeemer started terrorizing these communities, and the federal government left, basically leaving black people, like, to fend for themselves, and that's where all these black codes come in, and essentially Jim Crow, and that's what she talks about right. in Chapter one. And I wish we had more time to, like, go. There's so many details. I really hope you guys are reading along with this because there's so much. Like, this is a really meaty book, you know? Yeah, it's
0: a very meaty book. There's going to be a lot to highlight. Trust me, when we do this interview. Yeah, (laughs) that's why I'm glad that, you know, we'll be watching the the 13th documentary because it really does sum up this whole entire book in movie Mm -hmm. form, and it covers all of this uh in a very detailed way in about two hours and 30 minutes i want to say about two hours tops Um, but it is an amazing documentary if you haven't seen it i'm probably going to watch it this week again um, just for reference because watching it while reading this book it's if you watch it while you read this book it kind of helps you along Um, i really like listening to the audible i was listening to it today and I remember, you know, listening uh, the part about the black codes in particular where a black man could be locked up for not having a job like and then not only that, but that's kind of like a loophole because who has the jobs? All these white men. So if he's not going to give you a job because you're black mm-hmm. and you have to present a form of paperwork each month showing that you have a job. And not only and, that, but no, not but only that, but you're going in the jail. You're going into, you know, basically another form of chattel slavery, which is the worst form of slavery, by the way. And you're in these prisons where and in these jails where you could literally just die from exhaustion and they just leave you there to die.
1: Right. Because they don't have a reason to keep you alive in the same way
0: that that slavery was. There's you're not they're not getting paid for this the way that you're getting paid for slavery. So you're expendable. Because they know, hey, we can just go arrest somebody else for a stupid crime and put them in jail. So I don't really need you. Like you're just a placeholder for another black person. And the the ages got you got you know younger and younger and younger. You had people as young as 10 years old in prison for the rest of their lives for stupid crimes. And Which, it was
1: precursor to currently. There,
0: yeah, to currently, in chapter two. With, you know, you know, getting life, you know, with the which they get into the sh- three strikes rule and they get into you know going to jail for for petty drug charges like going to ge- going to jail for crack cocaine when it's the same thing as pure cocaine um, for twice the time than twice the three times the time of a white counterpart. So I don't and I don't want to give away the book either because I've read it. So that's one thing I don't want to do. But well, you're
1: still in chapter one right now.
0: I'm still... Yeah,
1: yeah, what you're explaining right now is chapter one. And I wish we could, like, really get into it because, like, right now we're at... We've got to be talking about, like, the birth of mass incarceration.
0: Yeah, we're really about to get into the birth of mass incarceration.
1: Yeah, we're... No, we're we're in, like, Jim Crow. So... And then we get into the death of Jim Crow, which uh, I guess people kind of assert that it's somewhere between like 1944 and uh, Brown versus board of education. So right. you got to think about this was right after world war II. So black people have fought in a war, have come back fought for the freedom of the rest of the world and then come back to be treated as second-class citizens. So the American government is kind of noticing like, Hey, we're kind of hypocrites and black people are successful. Oh, come on, words. <laughs> Susceptible on. to communism. So it's like they don't want that. So, like, okay, we right. got to throw them a bone, essentially. Right. So, nothing yep. that the American government has, what it seems like to me is that like nothing that they have done has ever been for the good of the American people, which they, in general, from what I can see, only see as white people. Like, those are the only people that they see as truly american anybody else that doesn't fit that description is oh well you know
0: right and one thing that's very interesting like with my like with my grandfather being you know world war ii vet um when he returned home he returned home to hattiesburg mississippi which was still as racist as it was before and if not worse and then he had six kids and you know these kids were born during you know, the civil rights movement, they were born in, you know, my grandfather was born in Jim Crow. Um, And then not only that, but like the GI bill that the GI bill was essentially created for soldiers who came back from world war II, but the beneficiaries of the GI bill were actually white women. Um, It was not black men. It was not black women. Um, So the very GI bill that was created really to throw black people a bone so they could get over they couldn't even take full advantage of. Um, so this free education or this, you know, and all this other stuff, you, you, you didn't really get it. So you were just kind of stuck. And it's never favored, it's, you're right, it's never favored the American people um, because the American people, the people minority that Minority
1: American people, like- The
0: minority American, because the minority American people to me are the people that really, well, they are the people who suffer the most because these poor white people they don't since they they're not really being affected truly by what we're being affected by. Um, it, it doesn't hit them as hard. So that's it. It really sticks out like a sore thumb because they're still getting benefits um, that you know are created. The programs that are created, I guess, for us to kind of get ahead. There's still laws in place that are still cutting us down.
1: Oh um, no! But can we get into that? Can we get into how? Well, no, we're not there yet. But I do want to like put a pin in the fact that Bill Clinton has basically like largely cut the the ability for uh, minority groups to really benefit because he was trying really hard to be tough on crime to get swing voters. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Yeah, we're
0: not there yet. Um, (laughs) That's in chapter two. What's interesting? It is in chapter two, and you know we do get a chance to. Uh, I love, like, watching that in 13th um, also, like, because when you go from the Nixon era to the Clinton era, Republicans were focusing on crime, and that was what was getting them votes, and Democrats were kind of, like, stuck in a rut. They were like, whoa, what are we going to do to get, you know, our guys in the House because you know, Reagan introduced this era of being tough on crime and this war on drugs getting people off the, you know, well, Nixon first introduced it, but but Reagan really revolutionized it. Um, Now, keep in mind, there was no high drug use rate, honestly, during the time No different
1: than anything else.
0: Then no different than anything else, but he pushed this and also keep in mind that the verbiage changed and the vernacular changed around the time that, that Nixon got in office. We didn't use Negro anymore. We didn't use, you know, the N-word anymore. We had, you know... Make it about supporter.
1: crime, because this is like after riots. This is dissent. That's the word. Like, Descent. you know, we're yes. all about...
0: Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, you couldn't really use the word. You couldn't say, well, we got to get these niggers out of here. We got to make sure these niggers stay down. Um, you can't really say that. So you have to use safe words. So mm-hmm. the Republican Party really went into this revamp. Um, interesting. If you go back, I was actually talking about this a couple of weeks ago. It's like um, when the Black Panther Party rose to power and Ronald Reagan was governor of the state of California, the state of California put in the strictest laws, the strictest gun laws this country has. <laughs> And the NRA actually that supported it, but ten years later, when Ronald Reagan—bless you—when ten when Ronald Reagan became president, he became more pro gun rights. Where it was prior ten years ago, when the Black Panther Party was at its apex, and you know they were showing all these forms of military protests with these weapons, he was in support of more gun rights. And what's really surprising is the gun-toting, gun-loving NRA supported him. In his you know in his push because in the sh- black yeah because black that's why <laughs> that's why a lot of people make jokes about if a whole bunch of black people got guns legally the nra you know we get the strictest gun laws in the world but people say you know that's a you know that's not true history already happened um right. and history
1: repeats itself
0: so the word I- that
1: nixon used was law and order Yes. That's law and-, law and order. Like, it's okay to, you know, try to get your rights, but we have to have some order. Because shortly after Dr. King died, there were all of these, you know, riots. But then also there was Jim, Jim oh my gosh, where am I? Vietnam, like the Vietnam protests and all of this stuff. And so all of these Southern whites are like all of, it's it's these Black, you give Black people these these rights that they keep asking for and they meet that with crime when in reality the spike in crime is largely because of the baby boom and the people that are right. committing crimes eight uh men age 18 to 24 there's just a lot more of them so it's not, not necessarily o- black people got rights it's because there's just more people but you can't not only reason that, with racism so
0: but there Yes. Yeah. And not only that, but, at you know, during the 70s and the 80s, you have this now different economic group of black people. You have your Jeffersons and then you have your good times, black people. And with with this new, you know, all these black people, there's this movement where all these black people move out of black neighborhoods and they move into these white neighborhoods as well people who are left behind who are poor and we see a spike in crime um that goes up significantly and it's mostly because these people can't even afford where they live um the bronx is the bronx is a very good example if you know you'd like to do some research going uh if you want to do some research you know later on some on separate research if you're listening um look at the bronx and uh most and look at harlem in particular um in new york city there were buildings and these people and crime was rampant but and this is where this law and order and it's really funny now that we talk about law and order coming from nixon because you know agent orange uses the same used the same law and order
1: there was a rhetoric. lot of stuff that was Nixon and Reagan era Reagan. This like thinly veiled racism that Donald Trump yes. is using which is terrifying to me like I, I highlighted somewhere in chapter two like are we moving pe- to another like type of racial caste system like do I need to get ready because right. a lot of this stuff is like mirroring what I see now in you know yeah in
0: and- and to, it's and this book you have to keep in mind when reading this book, this book was written in you know, was published in two thousand ten and it's two thousand seventeen now. And it's crazy because reading it now, you're like, Whoa, are you in another are you getting ready to be in another new caste system? Is something else is some new form of oppression getting ready to be rolled out? Um, and this is why a lot of people are preparing and resisting. And this is also why we're reading. Because we have to arm ourselves mentally and come up with solutions on how to combat, you know, these new tools that are being used against us. Um, Sadly, we're going to have to come to an end. Um, I
1: mean, we can do like 10 minutes because we didn't even. Yeah, I can give you 10 minutes because we didn't even get into chapter two yet. And that's that's like where we even get into like. Incarceration. And I really want to point out that Bill Clinton ain't, you know, he have our best interests at hand. Like, and it's like, wow, why didn't I see? You know, uh, can I can I speak on it? So (laughs) I have a little bit of time. So basically, (laughs) Bill William, William Clinton (laughs) decided that he wanted to be tough on crime because that is what the the Republicans have been kind of like saying this whole time and in an effort to be uh, in line with civil rights, they kind of focused on affirmative action. Whereas the conservatives were like, we need like drugs, 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 drugs. Drugs are the issue with the American people. Like this is tearing up our community. When in reality, it wasn't really, there were like, Law enforcement was more focused on um, more violent crime, but there was right. this media campaign that like just say no and like crack cocaine and all of this stuff, they made it seem like it was this big issue in the inner city, right? Right. So Bill Clinton gets into office and he's like, nobody's going to be as tough on crime as me. So he, let Three see. strikes. Yeah, so he's like, you know, we need the three-strike rule. He starts um, signing these bills where he could, quote, det- quote, and this is a quote from the book, I think, uh, yeah, says determined to prove how tough he could be on them. Clinton also made it easier for federally ass- assisted public housing projects to exclude anyone with a criminal history. Right, Which is hard, so you got to think you don't have any economic means like you have generally the inner city has few jobs. You don't have a whole lot of resources. So typically what happens is you not typically, but what happens is people do criminal activities, sell drugs, stuff like that. Bill Clinton made it so that if you are convicted of a, of a crime, you can now no longer have public housing. So essentially you become homeless I don't know about you, but that to me is counterintuitive. You take away somebody's basic needs and then you expect them to then become sufficient in society, you know? So they take all this funding. So you have to think, okay, well, if you don't have these people in public housing, you can put that funding into something else. Prison system, right?
0: Right. So
1: it's like... Let's see where else
0: I think what's amazing about it is that black people kind of fell for the trick because black people even to a fault started you know siding with this belief that we need to lock y'all niggas up just to keep it real just keep it 100 because you know there were black people who were bold enough to say like you know because all these niggas are running around rampant you know you know, committing crimes and they weren't and because they had been fooled into thinking like, this is all these people want to do is, is, is commit crimes. Like even the rhetoric, like during the time I want to say, was that in New York when Donald Trump, you know, was, you know, basically clamoring for those three young black men to be, to be executed for the murder of that woman and turned out that they had nothing to do with it. But this super predators uh, term was coined. And, you know, what was really crazy was black people really started to believe this white supremacist rhetoric. And we still do today because we buy into it. You hear a lot of, you know, black people support, you know, the same type of white supremacist ideals that we would have never believed in, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Um, We could see through the bullshit. But now it's more so like, Hold up. Wait a minute. You know, I got crime in my neighborhood and, you know, these little nigglets are running rampant. And you're kind of like, well, what opportunities you know are being given in your neighborhood? But and it goes
1: back about. to the economics. Like it keeps right, going it back,
0: straight back, to it straight back to that. It goes straight back to the economics. We don't need, it, you know, it's, it's just like it's just like uh, Donald Trump saying that we need to put, you know, troops on ground in Chicago. You don't need troops on ground in Chicago. You need jobs. Provide
1: economic. The amount of money that you would spend on federal funds, you could spend on economic programs and economic reform, and I guarantee that you won't see the same problems. Like a show of force does
0: not
1: does not reduce crime. It puts more people in prison, which is and it also she highlights in the book,
0: and it only makes people more fearful and trust the government less. It's, it's also a
1: grave human. violation of our human rights. Our rights, rights as American exactly. people, which keeps happening. It keeps exactly. happening. That's what they're doing. Like, and she breaks it down beautifully Mich- in chapter Michelle two. Michelle Alexander
0: is a genius. I, I hope that we get a chance to speak to her because um, I'm very optimistic that we get her. I have so many questions.
1: Like, I have
0: so many questions. I
1: feel like I'm just like, scratching the surface of me kind of like understanding what's in this book. Because the way she broke down how they increased from 300,000 or so, I want to say, I'm not looking at the numbers right now, to like 2 point something million people, like in the prison system, when there wasn't really, really an increase in drug use, they just got more federal funds to lock people up. They started writing these grants and then, oh my gosh. And then <laughs> they made it so that the local law enforcement could keep what they seized from a drug arrest. Not even, a, like, yeah, they made it so that you could just keep that money, not even be That's charged. You could not be charged with something, and they could seize your assets and keep it, and that goes towards what the was budget. Really funny
0: was, yeah, that what? goes towards the budget. And what was really interesting during that time In the 80s and 90s, like especially in cities like Los Angeles, you know, doors, you know, for and don't have to pay for them damages exactly. Like, there were black people calling, you know, their housing insurance companies, you know, asking them, you know, insurance cover the police raiding my home. You know, they would kick down your doors, you know, destroy everything, vandalize your property, and then dip. All for like a gram of weed or a gram of cocaine or a couple grams of cocaine. And
1: then and then Please. in order to get something to get something done, you have to then file to to get your damages paid or to get your money back. But the people that they're antagonizing are poor. So let's say the government, and this is the example she used. Like, let's say the police seize your car that's worth five thousand dollars. You have to go through a lawyer, pay the legal fees to then get your car back, which is going to come to cost more than what your car is worth. So why even try to go through the trouble? They know what they do. Right. Like it's like human rights violations all over the place. Like everywhere. Like American rights, like our civil rights. Just oh, I have just I have trampled so upon. much to and say. It's, yes. I have so yeah, like, it's, it, I they're wish completely we could talk about upon.
0: Yeah, I wish we could talk more because, you know, we haven't really gotten into, you know, the military, the militarizing of our police, which happens in 1993, 94,
1: Mm like,
0: and I. Uh oh. You have a third with the population that's less than 100,000 and they have like literally amphibious military vehicles. Like why do you have a tank? Like, why do you have a tank? Why do you have a Why MRAP? do you need
1: like, one? Like,
0: like, I was in the military for seven years. Just for, if I saw an MRAP in the city of Mobile and it had Mobile Police Department on it, I'd literally be like, what you doing? What you doing? What you doing? What you doing? Like, <laughs> why y'all need this? Like, explain, like how did it get this like because the one thing the first thing that you think about your city if you see military great police riding around in military great vehicles i'm thinking we are gonna go to war first
1: thing if i see a mobile police riding down airport boulevard in a tank i'm gonna think i need to go home and get my life together because and also the, and the next what? thing I want to think
0: about like damn is my city this bad like and i think and it's that's not all, and it's not it's an illusion like this illusion where they make you feel like crime is so awful when it's not really that true. Like It's, it's just, just a like racial this,
1: caste system.
0: It's a racial caste system. It's just like black on black crime is painted rampant and that we're just killing each other when it's about the same percentage as white people killing each other. White on white crime, I want to say it's spoken about in the book or it was actually mm-hmm. spoken about in Tears of the Nation. Tear, I mean, uh, yeah, Tears, of, yeah Tears, Tears We Cannot, we cannot Stop. Pop. We cannot stop. Um, it's spoken about this. I want to say it was like 83 percent is white on white crime, and uh, black on black crime is maybe 90 to 93 percent. So, there's really not that much. The of issue a, is crime, yeah. The issue is, and crime. even, and even now,
1: talking. race is not the issue, just like in that notion of crime that Dr. Dyson spoke about, crime. I mean race isn't the issue, crime is and just like right yeah. now race isn't the issue, it's the economics
0: of it. It's they yeah. created
1: race to be a distraction.
0: Exactly. Because as long as I'm not black, I'm all right.
1: Right. As as and so black. and so I hope I hope that we I haven't read the book all the way Jason has. So I'm hoping that we get into a way that we can you know speak to our white counterparts to their, hu- I mean, you can't really speak to the humanity of somebody who doesn't see you as a human, would, but, you know, to the point where we could, at least as minorities, band together to say, hey, the race isn't the issue.
0: Yes. We and need to talk about we, economics. Yes. And I, the only problem that comes with that, and I, we got to come to a close, is that when we try to say, you know, hey, race isn't the issue,
1: or take an intersectional we just,
0: approach. We need to take an intersectional approach to that. And that's what I wanted to get into. We need to take an intersectional approach to that. Because if we just say race isn't the issue, then we're denying the fact that racism exists in this country. Right. right. Um, because if you just say we need to say screw racism and we just need to focus on focus on, you know, you know, poverty being this form of oppression because poverty being a form of oppression is poverty is disproportionately affecting people of color, primarily Mm -hmm. black people and Hispanic people. It's not affecting, it's affecting white people, but not at the the same magnitude. And that's what I was speaking to.
1: Right. We need to take an intersectional approach to poverty
0: and even
1: just multiculturalism.
0: Yes, because colorblindness is a lie and the color blindness has been fed has been spoon fed to us as this beautiful thing that we're supposed to be moving to but the closer that we move to multiculturalism when we don't celebrate the different treated differently because of the color of their skin for decades uh, for hundreds of years in this country the further that we get away from that and the less that we teach that this lie keeps getting fed that white, that black people are not disproportionately oppressed and that we're not being incarcerated and that we're not feeding in to this system of mass incarceration, which is this new form of. Racial cast. And sad conversation. Yeah, this this live cast, um, we have to go. If you wanna continue this conversation um, you can either tweet Reading Wild Black um, at Reading While okay. If you're in the Facebook group, we can pick up where we left off for a more in-depth conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, feel free. And if you're locally, you know, in your city and you know somebody who's reading the book, too, I want you guys. We want to encourage you guys to always link up if you live in Chicago, um, if you live in Mobile, If you live in Uh,
1: Chicago, you know, you can hit me up. We can meet at a Starbucks or something. We can have a chat because I'm always into hearing what you guys have to say and creating community.
0: Yeah. If you're in Mobile and you're reading the book, I know there's a lot of you that are. Feel free to hit me up on my Twitter account, on my Facebook account, and let me know if you want to meet at Starbucks, if you want to meet at the Tories by South. If you want to meet at South Alabama, if you're a student in particular, I'd love to know if you're reading the books right now at South Alabama, Bishop State, or Spring Hill um please let me know and get with me um so i can get with you and we can discuss the book more in in depth um i love to have conversations and wherever you are you know if you know somebody that's in your city that's reading the book you know you guys you know try to have a meetup of your own and discuss the book you know amongst yourselves create a group chat um you know The only way that we're going to have these tough conversations and enlighten ourselves and educate ourselves is through having dialogue. We have to stop having duologue, which is talking at each other. We have to start talking to each other and listening to one another. Um, So continue to read the book. We'll be back again next Sunday for chapters three and four. Um, I'll be off next Sunday. So I'll be so um, I wanted to apologize. Sorry, I was at work. It was cutting it kind of late. Um, so I just want to take, I'll take that, you know, responsibility, but we'll be um, ready for chapters three and four. Um, we hope you guys are excited because we are. And um, like I said, tweet us any suggestions that you have. Um, continue to read the book and we'll drop you guys some more news. Website should be up this month. Um, <laughs> it should. It <laughs> should um you got any more updates we
1: operate on cp time with we do you know, internet real, stuff
0: this is a this is real very black. very
1: black this, this is a very is a, black, <laughs> black experience
0: this you is know, a very black
1: Got jobs and bills and whatnot so you know we're working on it but, the ice cream yeah, machine I'm is
0: saying, the ice you know ice cream machine don't <laughs> cream work always <laughs> broke
1: um <laughs> so yeah follow us on instagram at reading Wild blk and twitter same handle. Make sure you subscribe uh, to the YouTube, Facebook, yes, all of we're that. Gonna, we're in we're the future. We are going to, um, we're looking for suggestions for self-published people. So, um, yes, self-published. As well. so if you have a book that you would like to be on one of our reading lists, um, you can send us a line on Twitter or DM us and we'll chat. <laughs>
0: yes we will chat also young adult books send them to us if you have suggestions for young adult books and children's books for black children please send them to us we do want to create a reading list for young black adults and as well as black children preferably i know there's a link going around for a list of black books to teach young kids about activism um if you guys could find that for me i know i have it saved somewhere but if you know any books um, that we can, you know, create, you know, we want to create a list for black kids because um, we do want to start putting books in hands. Um, somebody reached out to me and said, you know, you need to get some kids some library cards. So, Jason, uh, go. I got to go. go. You got to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can
1: leave. I'll keep talking. Okay. Um, bye, guys.
0: <laughs> I'm going to go too, but reach out to us and we're going to try to do what we can. Um, it's been a pleasure and see you next Sunday. All right. Let's talk to you later. Bye.